Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Winning is an everyday mindset, and we're here to help. I'm Craig Robinson. Join me and Coach John Calipari for Ways to Win. How do you play? How do you work when you're not at your best? Coach Cal and I'll share some wisdom from our time coaching, and we'll apply that wisdom to your off-court challenges. You gotta win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to This League Uncut. In the world of 24-hour NBA news, this news, you lose. Chris Haynes, it's go time. Mark Stein, it's showtime. Boom shakalaka. This league and cut is underway and on fire. This should be a good one. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of This League Uncut with my partner, Mark Stein. This is Chris Haynes here. Listen, we have a special guest, and this guest, this this guest, the timing is just perfect because there's a lot going on in this particular market, that particular city, and this guy right here, he he pretty much is very influential in recreating the culture, the foundation of this team, and this team, I'm talking about the Sacramento Kings, just clinched a berth to the playoffs for the first time in 16 years. And this individual right here that we're going to have on today, again, very special guest. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just, you know, Mark Stein, go ahead and introduce him, man. Go ahead. Jump in here. Coach Mike Brown, who Chris Haynes says should and will be. Well, he didn't say will. He said should. Should, should be the unanimous coach of the year winner. Coach, congratulations. You guys freshly clinched a spot in the playoffs. Just I guess, what was it like waking up this morning knowing that Sacramento Kings will be in the playoffs for the first time since you were in Cleveland many, many, many years ago? I, you know, I, I tell you, it's it's a it's a special feeling, uh, mainly because you know what it means to the city just as much to the organization as well. And, you know, I've been in Sacramento for a short period of time, a lot, a lot of good people there, uh, very knowledgeable about the game, very passionate about the game. And that passion hasn't subsided, even though they hadn't been in the playoffs 
uh, in 16 years. They, they're still trying to rep sack where, wherever uh, they can, whenever they can. And so to be able to uh, be a part of this experience, uh, clinch at this point in the season and, and, and continue to help uplift that, that, that town as well as the organization, uh, there's no better feeling. Post, what did you do? What did you do after clinching? Is there anything anything special you did? Uh, well, you know, so uh, a, a lot of um, our wives came up, uh, girlfriends, significant others came up to to Portland because uh, we knew we were going to be here for a few days. It's a short trip, and uh, so when, when we got back to the hotel, uh, we we had a little room down uh, right off the bar in, in the hotel, and and we, we, we popped a few uh, bottles of champagne, had a couple of <laughs> and listened to some good music while chatting it up. Is, is this the Nines Hotel? Uh, yes, it is. Oh, that's, that's my favorite spot right there. Favorite good. spot right there. I'm sure you spot. wanted to clinch at home, but is there kind of to do it on the road and you guys are all there kind of on foreign turf, but you're all there together? I mean, what what is that like? You know, it, it, yes, you want to clinch at home because, again, you want to do it in front of your fans. And there was a lot of anticipation a couple of nights ago against the Timberwolves. But at, at the end of the day, you know, for, for, for us, um, it's just about getting it done. And I told our guys this um, not too long ago. I said, hey, you guys uh, put yourselves in position to be able to control your own destiny. And when you're able to do that, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter really uh, for us whether it's here or there. I mean, my, except for the fact, like I said, you know, you you like your fans to have that opportunity to see it in person. But at the end of the day, because the guys put themselves in this position, they have plenty of opportunity to do it, whether it's at home or on the road. They just so happen to be uh, up here in Portland, and it, it feels it feels good either way. Coach, did you ever? This is your first year as the head coach of the Kings and you spent your time in Lakers, you spent some time with the Cavaliers and then you spent time as an assistant with the Golden State Warriors. Did you ever think, or was there any doubt at, at all during the time that you were at Golden State that you would get another opportunity to be a head coach in this league? I, I didn't know. I, you know, <clears throat> um, I, I'm the type that looks at things, that looks at a, a glass or a jar as, as half full as opposed to half empty. So I'm a pretty optimistic optimistic person as is. Uh, I felt if I if I kept uh, you know grinding and, and doing my thing and kept trying to be part of uh, situations uh, that will not only help me grow and evolve, but also where, where you win. Because usually, uh, if you're in a situation where you win. Uh, more eyes are on you, and uh, everybody usually has success that comes from a winning situation. So I, I didn't know. Uh, I felt being in Golden State, working for Steve, and being around the, the great players that uh, that I was around, and, and, and winning at that le at that level, uh, I'd get opportunities to interview. But you just never know uh, what's going to unfold in those interviews. Most of the time, when you go on an interview, uh, the, the, the club has somebody already in mind it, but for me it didn't matter because every interview that I went on uh again I felt like I I learned I got better uh you know because I spoke in front of uh, a different uh staff and and um I had to explain my my plan and 
had to dive deep into what the, the what the team was and where I take them and and so for me to get an interview uh, at this point was something that I wasn't going to turn down. So at the end of the day, I'm glad it worked out the way it did. But uh, you know, you never know in these situations. You just keep your fingers crossed and and, and keep trying to do the right thing, and maybe it'll happen. Coach, can you name the teams, the other teams that you interviewed with? During your time with Golden State, yeah, I interviewed with the uh, Washington Wizards, Indiana Pacers, uh, Los Angeles Clippers, um, uh, obviously the Sacramento Kings. I think that might, I think that might be it. I think it might be it. The New York Knicks. I also interviewed for the New York Knicks. Yeah. How did you come away from the ones that you didn't get? Uh, the only one that. Uh, Really, the, the only one that I thought that I I, I had a decent shot at uh, because I truly felt that they didn't have uh, a candidate in place was the Clippers. Uh, you know, Ty, I knew Ty Luzzi. He's a fantastic championship coach. Uh, I knew he had a leg up on me, um, you know, uh, in that uh, interview process uh, because of his track record uh, and, and how, you know, again, how successful he is. But the type of person he is. And then he already knew the players and so on and so forth. And they had a lot of trust and confidence in him. But I do, you know, when I was going through the process, I really felt like uh, the, the, the staff hadn't made up their mind yet or didn't have a, have uh, Ty Lu as, uh, you know, Peg as, no, well, he's the guy, but maybe we'll see what Mike can bring to the table. And, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, obviously the job went to him. And for me, um, knowing that he got that job, it, it, it for me, I felt good because he's a fantastic human being and obviously a great coach. So uh, I didn't feel like uh, uh, that was tough to handle, not getting that one at all. But um, I, I, was, I thought I would, I thought I had a chance at that one. The other ones uh, that are fantastic to interview for, but going in, I knew that for the most part they had their guy in mind, and it and it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> I think you ended up in the right spot. I'm going to go out on a limb. Hey, you're 100% correct. This is the spot I'm supposed to be in. Winning is an everyday mindset, and we're here to help. I'm Craig Robinson. Join me and Coach John Calipari for Ways to Win. How do you play? How do you work when you're not at your best? Coach Cal and I will share some wisdom from our time coaching and we'll apply that wisdom to your off-court challenges. you got to win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, 
pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Folks, we talked, you know, thank you for giving me the time to, uh, for the story I wrote on the Kings and just the transformation of the culture uh, that everybody, please go check that out. Wrote that about two weeks ago on the Kings and Mike Brown's involvement in that process. But coach, what, what is, what has it been like? You know, I want you to, for people to hear it. Cause you know, there's a lot of bandwagon Kings fans now. And so uh, you got, and so can, can you explain exactly what, what it took for you guys to get from being an organization that was thought of as, an afterthought, you know, just be quite being honest. There was a lot of players, a lot of players that didn't, you know, to weren't too fond of the Sacramento Kings or free agents and, you know, problems with that. Can you tell me just about your process and revamping um, the culture and the foundation of the Kings? Just your part. I know other people had a role as well, but I just want to tell you how you went into the situation. Yeah, you know, the, 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 the well, there was a three-part I guess, process for me uh, when I looked at trying to uh, change the culture. You, you know, everybody says that they want to win. And uh, as a as a young head coach, when when I got the earlier jobs, I, I felt like I, I can outwork anybody. I had control over that. Uh, I felt like I was organized. And I felt like uh, uh, I had a good feel for my X's and O's. But being around you know, Steve Curry these last six years, being with the, the, the players in Golden State, with Bob Myers, GM, you know, you, you, you learn a lot about, you know, how they go about their business. And the X's and O's are great, but they don't start and end with that. Uh, the, the, the culture there is is second second to none. You know, it, it, it rivals that of, uh, of, uh, you know, Greg Popovich in a different way, but it rivals that of Greg Popovich uh, on many, many levels. And and uh, those two guys, in my opinion, are the two best messengers uh, or two of the best messengers uh, out there. And you realize being around them, you know, being around Pop, you learn a lot. But I was really young around Pop, so I didn't really uh, you couldn't really appreciate everything that was being done at the time, nor could you really know how know the true meaning or how deep uh, the things are, or the how deep things are that he was doing in or saying to the team. Being older, going through a lot of life experiences, being with Steve, now you're listening and you're watching the reaction of the players. And you're going to every, I used to take a notepad. Uh, I used to carry a notepad with me a lot of times, and it was just because whenever Steve addressed the team. I wanted to j- jot down a note or two, you know, because I learned a lot from him, even though I've coached many more years than, than, than he has. And, and so for me coming into this situation, uh, I felt that my biggest thing that I was going to attack right away was the culture. And the way that I 
uh, put a plan together. And doing that was the first thing I, I knew that there had to be a vertical and horizontal alignment between all of the units within the organization. You know, uh, whether it's ticket sales, it's the medical staff, medical staff, the performance staff, the coaching staff, community relations. Uh, we all had there all had there had been alignment of, of trust that was vertical and horizontal across the board, and I was going to go about doing that by uh, being present, uh, letting everybody feel my confidence uh, by engaging with them as much as I could, trying to bring all these groups to, groups together as much as I could. Um, for instance, when we went on our coaches retreat, you know most most staffs they just go with their coaching staff. Well, we invited our front office, Monty McNair, Wes Wilcox. We also extended the invitation to Matina and JR and all of the um, uh, hierarchy in the front office so that they felt like they were a part two of it. And uh, and then, you know, you also want to give ownership uh, to your group, not just to the players, but to the people that are, are working for you and that are, are working in other departments. And I did that basically. I didn't go on the floor at all. Uh, um, well, I'll tell you back, I went on the floor twice prior to training camp and I was in the gym a lot, but I, I told myself, Hey, I'm gonna let my coaches handle it. They know exactly what they're doing. I want players to see that I have belief and trust in them. And I don't need to step out there every five minutes to make a correction or try to coach or show that I can coach. And I'm just going to watch. I'm going to be a fan and I'm going to talk and get to know these guys, uh, personally, and, you know, more talk to them about their families, how their days going, and all that other stuff. So that was the first step in, in, in trying to get the group connected, trying to establish that that sustained winning culture. The second uh, step that I well, wanted to make sure I did was establish uh, a set of rules and, and, and or principles and values that um, not only were upheld by me, but were upheld by the, the, all of the leadership within the organization including, you know, the, the, the leadership in terms of players on the team. And, and uh, well, once you establish that, you know, and you, your leaders believe in it, then everybody's going to follow that path. And then the last one was, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a big role guy. And so trying to uh, identify and establish, you know, everybody's role while giving them ownership and defining their role so that at the end of the day, everybody would embrace it. And, you know, you can do one of three, three things. You can reject it, you can, which is not good. You can accept it. If you just accept your role, what you're telling me is, okay, I accept it. It means when things are going good, you got that foot in. But when things ain't going good, which we all know happens in this business, that other foot is out. So I wanted to get it to get to a point for everybody that, that they can embrace their role and uh, giving them ownership in um, and, and defining their role was was a huge part of that. It was that in itself was a three step process that we went through. With the last step being, um, you know, we got everybody together, and I just went down the line asking each guy. I, well, I had up on the, the big screen. These are the three to four things that we define this person's role. For instance, HB. These are in front of the whole team. These are HB's uh, points for defining this role. Read them out. Everybody saw. I said, "HB, do you agree to this? Because once you agree in front of the team, then that means there's no going back." And each guy had to read it and say, "Yes, they did," because they were a part of the process. And to me, that meant everybody embraced their role. And once everybody was on the, the same page and 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 they valued this as much as I did, 
I had everybody sign a contract, and uh, we have uh, three copies of that contract. One we carry with us, the others in our, our lock, locker room uh, downstairs at Golden One Center, and the third one is in our uh, um, training area upstairs in the practice facility. Mike, I'm guessing that this whole approach is radically different from the three other times that you were a head coach. And obviously, like you said, you've accumulated a lot of wisdom through through all these years. But you clearly had this plan, and it's a three-step plan. But how confident were you that you could actually implement it and make it work? Because just what was the, the confidence level could not have been high when you arrived there after – 16 years of nothing but lottery for this franchise? You know, you know it's, it, that, that's, a, that's a great question from the standpoint. It, my confidence was high, and I, I, I felt I would have an opportunity to, to take a swing at exactly what I said the way that I wanted because they hadn't had success. And they were looking for direction. And usually when people are – you know, uh, you know, uh, looking for direction at a pretty high level, they're going to give you a second to fail, <laughs> you know. And the more small successes that you have along the way, that's the more leeway that you're going to be able to have to implement your plan fully. And, you know, Luke Laux, um, you know, we worked together in Golden State. So, I, I you know, I've known Luke for years. We were close in Golden State. And, uh, you know, every job that I interviewed for, uh, basically Luke helped me out. You know, I'm, I'm an old head. I, I do know computers a little bit. I do know <laughs> analytics a little bit. Uh, but, you know, Luke's a young guy, and he's going to be a head coach in this league someday soon. He's, he's that good. Uh, but he helped me gather my information and prepare for every interview that I went on. So he, he and I, when we knew that the Sacramento job was open, and same with Jordy, uh, Luke was more involved than Jordy. Uh, was during each one of the processes, but uh, when 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 we knew Sacramento was open, uh, we both looked at it. We were like, "Whoa, this this is a sleeping giant," you know. They're, they're, you know, you, you have two potential all stars and in, in, in De'Aaron Fox and, and Domas Sabonis. You have a, a championship veteran in, in Harrison Barnes. Uh, they're going to get a high pick, and it looks like the draft was was pretty deep and you know there's some other guys that you know you might be able to do some things with you know we go in there and, and, and have a chance to really put our footprint on the direction that the organization wants to go so I was excited about it for, from day one just because of the potential uh, not only potential for the organization going forward with the city and the facilities and in my opinion the ownership and everything else but also for the potential of us being able to do what we felt was right and growing this uh, uh, program the way that we wanted it to grow. Coach, when you're trying to implement a new culture, you know, it's not always easy. And a lot of times there are some tough conversations that need to be had because the team or the players have been doing something for so long that that hasn't been the right way. So I want to ask you, is there a conversation that you can reveal where you had to have a tough conversation with someone and, and but you took it, you know, you took it head on and it ended up working out. Is there anything that comes to mind where when you took the job, there was a tough conversation that you need to have? And how did it how did it fare from there? 
you know, again, I go back to that's part of the reason why this was so attractive because everybody was itching, you know, itching to just find a way to get out of the hole that they've been in. And, and so literally uh, when we came in, especially coming in from uh, coming in uh, off of a, uh, an NBA championship run, you know, you got a lot of uh, you got a lot of clout with what you're saying. And, and not just because of that one time, but, you know, I, I had been a part of six finals runs, even once as a head coach and been able to say I've been part of four of winning it four different times, you know, which is hard. There's a lot of people that hadn't even gotten there uh, one time in, in their career. And so, you know, the team that we had uh, in, that we had inherited, um, you know, they, there was one guy that had won a championship on the roster, and that's Harrison Barnes. And nobody else even really experienced, I don't even think going to the finals, let, let alone the conference finals or conference semifinals. So, again, um, there wasn't, there weren't many tough conversations to be had, uh, like maybe some other situations that I might have take, taken over. You know, I, I'll never forget when I, when I took the Lakers job, you know, one of the things I was, I was explaining something to Kobe and, and, and you know, the God rest his soul, but and, and Kobe said, well, you know, when Phil was here, you know, this is how we did it. I'm like, oh shit! I, hope, I don't know. If I'm <laughs> you 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 I, good? You good, coach? <laughs> I said, oh, I said, oh shit! You know, Kobe got a point. Phil got like 15 of them <laughs> as a head coach. You know, I was only there once as a head coach, and I got a couple, or you know, riding the backs of some players. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so yeah, so you know that that's a dynamic that I didn't have to deal with. Uh, in this situation, it was almost reversed for me because of where I came from and what my history was compared to not only the players, but everybody else, too, that was in the organization from people in the front office to people on the basketball side, too. So uh, and that's why that's part of the reason why, you know, you, you really uh, even before the job for me uh, was one. That's why it was an extremely attractive job, uh, you know, to be had. Um, for us. So how do you strike the balance now of convincing your guys? Yes, we clinch, but we also haven't achieved anything yet. I, because of all these playoff runs you've made, I'm guessing that you're not really satisfied with just getting to the playoffs. Uh, you're hundred percent. And part of it is, you know, the messaging that we, that we did from day one, you know, Every conversation that I had wasn't about making the playoffs. It was when we make the playoffs, this is what needs to happen. And when? When? Yeah, yes. And, and, and our guys bought into it. I, I had, you know, I talked to a lot of people when I took this job just to pick their brain. And, and you know, one of my best conversations I had was with Randy Bennett, the head coach at St. Mary's College. He basically took over. Uh, a perennial losing uh, program at, at St. Mary's back in the day. They were doormat of, of the, I think they were the WCAC at first and then the WCC after that. But he took that over and I asked him, I said, I said you know, first of all, what, what are some of the things that you did when you took it over? And then I said, what's the biggest regret that you had uh, looking back that you wish you could have changed? And he said, uh, he said, Mike, if I could have, 
worked on getting those guys to believe that right away we would have taken off a lot sooner than what it took us. And I, I said, what, what are you talking about? He, he said, you know, at the end of the day, I knew I was going to recruit good guys. I knew I was going to recruit hardworking guys. I knew I had a plan to help us X and O wise to be in games and all that. But he said, we'd look up with three minutes to go in the game and it's a one or two possession game, whether we're up or we're down. And there was just something that naturally kicked in for, for our guys and then for our opponent. And for our guys, it was like, oh, crap. Are we supposed to win this game? So there was that doubt. And then for the other team, they were like, okay, this is St. Mary's. Let's, let's turn it on right now. Let's, let's just kick their behind. And so when you face that dynamic in a, in a, in a tight ball game, you know, the team that's supposed to lose is, is going to lose 90% of the time. And that's how it was with Sacramento. I mean, we we obviously we played against Sacramento, but the years, you, you know, you go through the game, it's a close ball game, and then, you know, three to five minutes to go, even guys, you know, the players on the team, and you take a timeout, they say, okay, hey, let's turn it on now. Let's turn it on, let's, 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 kick, let's kick it in gear, and let's take it to these guys and end this game. And, bro, next thing you know, they do it, and go on an eight to two run, and, you could feel and see the doubt in, in, in the King's eyes and it's over. So for me hearing that, I thought that was, that was big. Uh, I thought that was really, really big. And so everything I did uh, and the way I talked to these guys um, in my, for, for, for me, I had to make sure that it added uh, value to the belief that we could get it done. Not two years from now, not three years from now, but right now. And part of where I did that was every little success that we had along the way, even in the preseason, you know, you celebrated it the right way. Like, okay, see, I told y'all, if we do this and we do that, we're going to go out there and kick ass just like everybody else think they should go out there and kick ass. And this ain't no fluke because you guys have been working your tail off since the summertime individually and collectively and it's starting to show. So every little thing, every opportunity, we worked on the belief. And I, I truly think our guys uh, have a true belief, not just from what I'm saying. I think they truly believe that they should be competing for a championship like everybody else. Now, will it happen? We'll see. But I, I do think that belief is there right now. Winning is an everyday mindset, and we're here to help I'm Craig Robinson. Join me and Coach John Calipari for Ways to Win. How do you play? How do you work when you're not at your best? Coach Cal and I will share some wisdom from our time coaching, and we'll apply that wisdom to your off-court challenges. you got to win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. 
When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I don't think I'm exactly going to surprise you here, but, I mean, you've been around the block. You know how this works. If you guys are going to see the Lakers in the first round or the Warriors, it's not just going to be Vegas. It will be know-it-alls like me who will say, the Kings have never been here, the Warriors are favored, the Lakers are favored, whoever it is. How do you think your players will handle that noise? I think they'll handle that okay. But the reality of it is, when we get in the mix, that's what I'm waiting. That's what I, I, I'm waiting to see. Because, I, you know, and, and I asked our guys if they watched uh, Golden State uh, play New Orleans uh, last night or a couple nights ago. And, you know, a couple of the guys raised their hands. And so I, I said, what stood out. And one of the youngest guys on the team, Davion Mitchell, did not hesitate. He said, the physicality of the game. And I said, you are 100% correct. I said, for us to get from here to here during the regular season, eh, that was pretty easy. Because if you're organized, if you compete, uh, if you're, you're healthy, relatively healthy, and you get a little lucky, it's pretty easy to be in the mix for a playoff spot or, or even a play-in spot. It's hard as heck. I mean, it's hard as heck to go even from here to here, you know, especially in the postseason. And this is something they haven't experienced. And I said a lot of it will stem from how physical the game's going to be on both ends for close to 48 minutes. And if you're not ready for that physicality, and I'm not just talking physically, but mentally also, if you're not ready for that, it's going to be a short out. And so I'm telling them the truth right now. And they will know if, if we whether we play Golden State or anybody else, they will know that those teams are coming for our neck. And as soon as they see an ounce of doubt in our eyes, it's a wrap. That's the one thing I'm going to make sure our guys know is I don't care what's going on. We cannot give them a feeling of doubt from us. We got to take it to them first, second, or third, and, and third. Coach, I was hoping that somebody, one of the players, when you asked them what stood out in that warriors Pelicans game, I was hoping one of the players said Chris Haynes stood out. I was, I was working <laughs> the sidelines for that game, Coach. 
I was working the sidelines. I don't know if you see me, Coach. Hey, I, I, I saw you. I saw you, though. I saw you. I saw you. I saw you. Hey, 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 hey when, you, when you was asking Draymond the question, man, you had Draymond locked in. Draymond was looking at, Draymond was, he was looking at you not like this the whole time before you even got the question out. So I saw you. I saw hey, what you did. Hey, Coach, T. Morat, John Morat's uh, father, he he texted me and Draymond at the same time, put us in his text chain, and he, he texted a picture of me and him together talking, and he uh, said, these, these some ugly old twins right here. That's great. That's great. Hey, well, Coach, I wanted to pick, kind of piggyback off the question Mark asked you about yeah. the playoffs. I don't know if you heard, but there's a chatter or narrative going on, going on around the league about teams wanting to face the Kings teams seeing teams seeing the vulnerability there. You know, I, I I would guess if that is true, I would guess it's due to inexperience. What do you say to that? And have you addressed your team with that narrative or those talking points that are being, that are, that are circulating about teams wanting to see the Kings in the playoffs? So I, I I'm a, uh, let's see if I can, I don't know if I can find it. So. Uh-oh. He got bulletin board material already. Uh, I know that last answer. I felt like I was in the locker room already. <laughs> <laughs> so this, so our, our video coordinator, a guy named uh, Charles Allen, Chuck Allen, and uh, this, this is what I sent him right here. The Kings of the Mark. Kings are stuck in the three seed. That's where they're going to finish. The Kings of the Mark. All of these teams smell weakness on the Kings, not only because they haven't been in the playoffs in 17 years, but because they're not a good defensive team. And if you're the Warriors, who's planning on a long playoff run, they love the idea of being able to drive in the first round series. That's an advantage. The Warriors want the six, which is why coming back from 20 down last night was one of the biggest wins of the season to get and stay in that sixth seed. <laughs> so so, so we, we, we know what the narrative is. Trust me. And, and, and they know what the narrative is too. And, and you know what? That's fine because we deserve it because we haven't done anything yet. And and if we and if we're as good as we think we are, we'll change the narrative. That's how I look at it. I hope everybody could hear Ooh. that when you held your phone up. It is the clip of Chris and my old colleague Brian Winhurst on ESPN earlier this week talking about how the Warriors were when they beat New Orleans. That was clutch because it kept them kept alive that three six matchup. But look, you know we're all know it alls on TV, and you know that. I, I'm old enough to remember a time when Mike Brown worked for ESPN too, so he knows how those he knows how those TV shows work. Yeah, you're right. You're right, son. <laughs> but you know, look, I mean, speaking of know-it-alls, this happened before you were there, but I was certainly one of them. I was at the front of the line. I could not believe that the Kings traded Halliburton. I was stunned. I just couldn't believe that they would move him, but. Sabonis and Fox have been so good together. They have shut all of us up. They look like as good a duo as there is in the league. What 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 were you picturing for for them in the summer before you actually even had them on the practice floor? Well, one thing I you know it's it's interesting with Foxy. I thought he was a very very good player. The one area that I didn't know whether or not he could do is exactly what he's about to win, which is clutch player of the year. I, I didn't know he would be able to close at the level he's closing now. 
and and it's it's been phenomenal to be a part of and watching him during crunch times watching how easy he does it makes you think okay not only is he an all-star but he could be a great player someday he's on track to be that uh because again being a great player and and you know and i'm not just saying this because we're sitting where we are and i have fox and domus but Sometimes I think people use that term real loose or loosely. I, if you want to be a great player, your team has to win too, you know. And because if you're on a losing team and you're putting up numbers, somebody got to put up numbers on that team, okay? But if you're putting up numbers and you're putting up numbers on a winning team and taking another level, you have the most points or buckets or however you want to call it in situations where it matters the most to win that game and your team's a winning team. So you're head and shoulders above above everybody else. And so to experience going through those types of moments with Foxy is something that, you know, has been a pleasant surprise for me. Obviously his speed was something that we wanted to bring to the table. And that's what we focused on a lot, not just, trying to play fast, but also really trying to get our guys to understand spacing doesn't just have to happen in the half court. Spacing can help your pace in the full court. And so we value our spacing and transition just as much as we value our spacing in our half court actions, because we want Foxy to utilize that speed and attack before the defense is set. So that's one way that we, we we decide that you know that we thought about using with what we're trying to do. A way that we for, for Domas is is you know it, it was great because a lot of the spacing and stuff like that in, in our initial actions that we use in our early offense, I implemented with with the Nigerian team. Now not to this level because we didn't have the time, but uh, again with the Nigerian national team, we felt we had, we're going to have a lot of athletes. And one of our strengths would be able to get out and run. And so we needed to be spaced and all that other stuff correctly in order for that to happen. And so with a lot of those actions that we use in our early offense, you can either play pick and roll, you can play hit and handback action, or you can play DHO action. And we introduced a lot of our stuff with this team using the DHO game because of Domus's ability to make great reads and help guys get great shots off of that DHO action. And most teams prepare just like the post-up game. Pop told me that told us uh, back in the day that you know the post-up game is going to be extinct one of these days because everybody knows how to double team the post. And you got the baseline and the sideline to a certain degree to be extra defenders. And so your rotations and all your schemes out of a post-double team were a lot easier than trying to double somebody on the perimeter. It's almost the same to a certain degree as a pick-and-roll. Everybody's scheme a million different ways to stop the pick-and-roll, starting with the blitz. And so although Foxy and Domas, at the end of last year, they were one of the top three pick-and-roll combinations in the league, I didn't want to be reliant on that. I wanted to be reliant on the DHO game, the hit and handback game, uh, the space game, the pace game, because come playoff time, I wanted teams 
to have to adjust to us and not be able to say, okay, if we are able to blow, uh, take away their pick and roll action, we're going to stop these guys from scoring. And so trying to implement that DHO game because of Sabonis' ability was a big factor for us in, in implementing what we did. And Stein, let, let me add this real quick. For those that don't understand or know what DHO is, that's dribble handoffs. Dribble handoff offense. So wait a wait a minute. On our show, people, everybody who's listening knows what that is. You would think you would think Stein, but I just want I just want to make sure there's clarity out there. To make sure there's clarity. I I gotta say, we are we are getting X's and O's. We're getting coaching philosophy. I think coaches who listen to this are really going to enjoy Mike Brown running the gamut here. Well, that's what that's what being a coach is. You got you got to try to bring a little bit of everything to the table and. And, and granted, I, I tell you what, I've had a lot of great, great, great staffs in the past. You know, Quinn Snyder's work for me, Darwin Ham, Boyd Pierce, Jamal Mosey. I can go on and on. Uh, but the staff I have right now, I, I have a staff of future head coaches. They are really, really good. And a lot of times, whether it's in practice or in the games. So I, I'm really appreciative of the game with right now. And again, that's not a knock to what I've, who I've worked with in the past, but I just want to give these guys a shout out because they're like, so coach, you know, we'll let you out pr pretty soon, but I wanted to ask you about Vivek and he is um, someone who over the years, he's let it be known. He has a little bit of a disdain for the Golden State Warriors. There's a little, there's something brewing there. You know, he's always, you know, always trying to get at the Warriors and trying to see how can he take them down. And he, he definitely wants to be, running the team who takes them down. So how was those conversations like with you? You know, he's plucking plucking you away from that Warriors squad. That's that's doing something. And, you know, and, and also the the intel that you bring. So when you when you having those initial conversations with Yvette, what is that like? And and before you even get the job, are you telling too much? Like do you have to be careful of what you say because you might be going back to the Warriors? Like how how does that work for you? And I, you know, no, I, I'm I'm pretty uh, open about what I say a lot of times, even when it comes to our stuff, as you guys can see right now. Because at the end of the day, uh, if you want to be better than that other team or whatever you're hearing, you got to go do whatever you do better than what they do. So for sure, for sure, uh, there's a, a, a huge step that still has to be taken to overtake uh, other good teams out there. And so our conversations are open. The, he just wants to win, and uh, you know, throughout the course of this year, getting to know him for me has been fantastic because he's extremely passionate about the team, the city. More importantly, he just wants to bring a winning product to the fans of, of, of Sacramento and, and, and the people that live in Sacramento. So uh, it's been great. I couldn't ask for a better guy to work for. Uh, we have a really good relationship and, you know, I, you hear a lot of things in the past about him, whether it's this or it's that. And I, I've had nothing but good times, uh, working for him. And on top of that, you know, you want an owner that's going to put his, uh, put, put his money where his mouth is. And he by far has done everything that we've asked him to do this year. So I couldn't ask for anything more. 
Well, look, Mike, we greatly appreciate the time because we've kept you sure. longer than we should have. Greatly sure. appreciate the candor. I'm, if Pop sees any of this interview, you might be getting a lecture about you're being far too open with the media, which we love. But <laughs> I, I don't know if he would approve this, but the, this is something I've always wanted to ask you. I can't believe I've never really had the chance to do it or, or thought to do it when I saw you in person. But you went to Würzburg High School in Germany. Yeah. And for people who don't know, Würzburg pronounced properly, the home of Dirk Nowitzki, the home yeah. of Moxie Kleba. Should we be including you as one of the Würzburg's famous NBA exports? I, this is the crazy thing about it. So the, the club out there is the Würzburg DJK Kickers. I actually played for them before Dirk Nowitzki did when they were in the third division back Really? In the I did not yeah. know. I did. I actually, so I played German semi-pro. I was in high school. I played, I didn't get paid, but I played German semi-pro uh, ball. And then I played American high school ball at the same time. And they were in the third division. So everybody on the club uh, worked, you know, so they, it was kind of like a part-time thing for them. And I, Never forget the first game that I went to at halftime, half the team was smoking in the locker room. And I'm just like, what did I get myself into? <laughs> and it's because, you know, it's, they, don't, they didn't really get paid. It was more for fun and staying in shape than anything else. And this was their part-time job. So, uh, yes, I can, I, I can say that Dirk Davinsky and I both played professionally for the first <laughs> Have you or Dirk ever talked about this? I, you know, I, I, I never, not in depth. I just talked, I told him I was from Burstburg, but I don't think it was I played for the DJK Kickers. <laughs> that is impressive. That is, you just, uh, you just scooped us because I did not know that. That's good. Now, like, like I said, he should be not just coach of the year, unanimous, unanimous. Uh, there's, there's, there's nobody who's done more this year compared to what, this organization, this franchise has faced over the last almost two decades. This man right here, what he's done has been unbelievable. So I know a lot of times people in the East Coast tend to sleep on, you know, some of the West Coast teams, but you got to pay attention to what the Sacramento Kings have done and really do your research. I'm going to challenge my fellow peers to do their research when they're submitting those ballots. I know he's going to get coach of the year, but I want to see him get unanimous. It should definitely be unanimous first place. Can, can, can we? Can I get a shout out for Keegan Murray, first team all rookie? Can I get a shout out for Domus Abonis and and and, and Aaron uh, De'Aaron Fox, all NBA? I mean, they're putting up some monster numbers on a winning team too. And now this one might be a little bit of a longer shot, but maybe Malik Monk, you know, for sixth man of the year, you know. And then I got to give a shout out to my man Monty McNair. Give him some love. Exactly what he is. Some love too for exactly the year. So let's. Let's let's get it popping now. If we want <laughs> if we want to be real about it, let's get it popping for the Sacramento Kings. <laughs> they not the Kings. It's the Kings not now. That's the not... Kings, baby. <laughs> Love it. Wishing you great success in the playoffs, Mike. Thanks to Mill for joining us. This was absolutely fantastic. Thanks. I appreciate you guys having me. Y'all take care. You Don't too. Take, take care, care, buddy. Thank you. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of This League Uncut with my partner, Mark Stein. That was Mike Brown, the head coach of the Sacramento Kings, who just clinched a playoff berth for the first time in 16 years. Mike is always good. Man, he's candid. That's what we lo love about him. Hopefully that doesn't change. 
Uh, but, you know, great heck of an interview. But we want to encourage everyone to like, subscribe, tell a friend, tell anybody about this pod. I think we got some good content in store for you, and we're going to keep going. We're signing off for this league uncut. This is Chris Haynes, Mark Stein. We'll see you next week. And that'll do it for us. See you next time. This League Uncut is an iHeartRadio production. Boom shakalaka! Chris Haynes and Mark Stein! Winning is an everyday mindset, and we're here to help. I'm Craig Robinson. Join me and Coach John Calipari for Ways to Win. How do you play? How do you work when you're not at your best? Coach Cal and I will share some wisdom from our time coaching, and we'll apply that wisdom to your off-court challenges. you got to win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at, at First, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct, but most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.